0: so ooh, first of all can you all hear me okay yeah when you're asked to speak you always wonder whether what you're going to talk about is relevant or if you've picked the right subject and it was actually a confirmation for me this morning when i was actually listening to the two first songs because i was like wow I couldn't have picked them better ones if I tried, so that was a confirmation for me. We're actually going to be talking about what does it mean to be a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? But before we get started, I want to ask a question, or two. How many of you really like to be organized or think that you're organized people? Come on, hands up. Who here is organized Yeah, that's a pretty good showing. Okay, how many of you, hands up again, like to know exactly what you're doing each day and where you're going? Yeah, this is looking good. Okay, guilty secret time. How many of you are list writers? Oh, even more. Okay, fabulous. I'll be honest, I'm a list writer. Mainly, probably due to the fact that as I've got older, if I don't write it down, there's obviously no chance of I'm going to remember anything. Um, However, let me show you a few secrets about my lovely husband, James. He is a list writer extraordinaire, (laughs) he is the king of lists. Sorry, James. Uh, When we go on holiday, he has a holiday list all prepared. It is typed out, and there is a different list depending on what type of holiday we are going on. So we have a self-catering list. We have a, if we're going to a BB b list. And we have a camping list, and so on and so forth. And there is always the last-minute list that is put on the sides in the kitchen that you have to quickly just check off before you leave the door. Now, these lists, they're not only typed, they're laminated. (laughs) And in the early days of knowing James, I found out that he even takes with him an extra item just in case. Now, this extra item is in the bag. Now, do you have any guesses as to what is in this bag. And when I tell you what it is, this is the actual item. When I told him what I was going to do and asked permission to take the mickey out of him, um, he said, oh, I'll get the actual thing that I used to put. And I thought, So this is not only a copy. It's the actual one. Okay? So what do you think is in this bag? Any ideas? A what? No. 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 It's an emergency something. It's an emergency fork. (laughs) This is an emergency fork. Who knew that something even exists called an emergency fork? And this is the fork. Apparently, this is in case you are ever in need of a snack requiring said fork, and you find yourself without one. I think it goes back to the times when he used to go to a B&B and have like a takeaway and sometimes sneak it back into the B&B and they didn't have any forks. So I think that's where it came from. But this is an emergency fork. James is very, very organized with shopping, with housework, with the grandchildren's schedules, you know, who has to be picked up where and dropped off, and we'd all be lost without him. In fact, our grandson Josh remarked just the other week, Grandpops is an amazing Grandpops. He is so old, (laughs) but he does so much. I think it was meant as a compliment, but you know. Now, I'm not that organized. I am probably when it comes to work, but when it comes to home life, I have to confess to being far more slapdash about things. It all kind of goes to pot really, and we all have to go with the flow. However, we both would have struggled when it came to doing what the disciples were asked to do in our reading today. And guessing by the number of hands that were put up, I'm guessing that most of you would have struggled too. We're continuing our trip through Luke, and I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. And you can follow along on the screen, or you can have a look in in your Bibles. And we're going to just read the first six verses and we're reading from the NLT version. One day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you've abandoned those people to their fate. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. At the beginning of this chapter, we read how Jesus entrusted the disciples on a mission, should they choose to accept it. It was a mission that mirrored Jesus' mission. It mirrored his actions, which was to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Up until this point, Jesus has basically done all the preaching of the gospel Well, he had a little bit of help from John the Baptist, but the majority of the preaching was done by Jesus. But now, here at the beginning of chapter 9, things are taking a new turn. Jesus has previously recruited his disciples, but now, now he wants them to start work too. Before they were told to do this this work, though, it's important to remember that Jesus had actually called them and we read the story of how that happened in Luke chapter 5. When, they'd recruited the, when he'd recruited them, though, they'd had to do something. One of the older translations states, they forsook all. What an amazing word, forsook. It's not something you hear nowadays, is it? Forsook. But what does it actually mean? Well, forsook comes from to forsake which literally means turning your back on something. And that is what the disciples had done. They had turned their back on their former lives and they had turned to a new life. It implies that they'd made a choice and a commitment. They'd chosen to leave their old lives behind and they'd made a commitment to a new life. There was no going back and it was not going to be a part-time project. But did you note when, note when we were reading those voices, verses what the disciples actually were asked to do? They were called to put God first and to totally, I mean totally, rely on him. They couldn't make a list, and they couldn't take a whole host of things in a roof rack, just in case. They couldn't double and treble check everything. No, they had to just go. Just go. They were called to trust and there was no room for self-reliance or planning at all. They were told, take nothing for your journey. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. They were to take nothing, not even an emergency fork. They had to live out that verse that we read in Philippians 4, verse 19. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. All your needs. Note the verse verse says, your needs, not what you want, your needs. When we choose to follow Jesus and become a disciple Every part, every part of our life is impacted. We are choosing to learn from him and we are choosing to stay close to him. You know, it's interesting to note that some of the first and probably some of the last words that Jesus said to Peter included the two words, follow me. In Matthew 4, verse 19, Jesus said to Peter, come follow me and I will make you fish for people. It was a very forceful, persuasive, and commanding, follow me, directing Peter and his friends to become Jesus' students and followers. Luke 5 says they left everything and followed him. And then, in John 21, Jesus had been having a big conversation with Peter about whether he loves him or not, and he gets him to repeat three times that he does love him. But then Peter in typical Peter style, changes the subject a bit and tries to push the pressure somewhere else and put the spotlight on someone else. And he starts questioning Jesus about John, who had been following behind him. And Jesus, with a very gentle word of rebuke, and probably amongst the last things he said directly to Peter, says in verse 22, What is that to you? As for you, follow me. It's like he was saying, never mind about anybody else, Peter. You follow me. You get your walk right. You are the one that needs to be concentrating here. Those two types of follow me are still relevant to us today. The follow me that means putting God first in everything not being self-reliant and being prepared to give up all that we treasure and put our confidence in. Just like the disciples not bringing a coat or an emergency fork, I think giving up control of our own lives to God is one of the hardest things we can do because it makes us vulnerable to what he wants as opposed to what we want And then that second type of follow me, a plea almost to make sure that we are right with him, not looking to criticize others, but making sure we are learning from him and staying close to him. How easy it is to look around at how everybody else is doing and forget that it's our walk and our relationship with him that matters. Let's not be judging other people. As Sam reminded us a few weeks ago, we are not walking in their shoes. Are we doing those two types of following him as we try to be his disciples? Are we putting God first in all we do and in all of our decision-making? What have we given up for him? What are we putting our trust in? Him or something else? Are we learning from him and staying close to him? What do we spend all our time, money, and energy on? What is important to us? One of the books that had a great influence on me as a teenager was this one. I expect some of you have read it, The Cross and the Switchblade by David Wilkerson. It's the story of how a country preacher is deeply affected after seeing a picture in Life magazine of seven young boys from a street gang who were on trial for murdering another young lad. He feels called to leave everything and go and work amongst the street gangs, telling them about the love of Jesus and showing them a different way to live. His work amongst the gangs and the impact he had is absolutely nothing short of miraculous. There are two stories retold in the book that particularly stick in my mind and I wanted to share with you. The first one happens right at the beginning of the book, before all the work started. In his book, David writes this It was February the 9th, 1958. On that night, I decided to sell my television set. I got up and turned the knob on the set and watched the picture disappear into a little dot into the center of the screen. I'll just pause at this point for all the young people. Uh, Years ago, you didn't have a remote control. Surprise, surprise, you had to get off and turn things on. And it normally was a little knob, but you had to turn like that. But also, when you turned the TV off, the the, the picture just went, ooh, like this, to a little tiny dot. Do you remember? And then it went, boop, and there was a black screen. So that's what he's talking about here. I left the living room and went into the office and sat down in the brown leather swivel chair. How much time do I spend in front of that screen each night, I wondered. A couple of hours at least. What would happen, Lord, if I sold that TV set and spent that time praying? What would happen if I spent two hours every single night in prayer? It was an exhilarating idea substitute prayer for television and see what happened. Right away, I thought of objections to the idea. I was tired at night. I needed the relaxation and change of pace. Television was part of our culture. It wasn't good for a minister to be out of touch with what people were seeing and talking about. I got up from my chair and turned out the lights and stood at my window looking out over the moonlit hills. Then, I laid a fleece before the Lord, one which was destined to change my life. I made it pretty hard on God. It seemed to me because I really didn't want to give up television. Jesus, I said, I need some help deciding this thing, so here's what I'm asking you. I'm going to put an ad for that set in the paper. If you're behind this idea, let a buyer appear right away. Let him appear within one hour. No, no, within half an hour. After the paper gets delivered onto the streets. When I told my wife about my decision next morning, she was pretty unimpressed. Half an hour, she said. Sounds to me, David Wilkinson, like you don't want to do all that praying. (laughs) Gwen did have a point, but I put the ad in the paper anyhow. It was a comical scene in our living room after the paper appeared. I sat on the sofa with the television set looking at me from one side, the children and Gwen looking at me from the other, and my eyes on a great big alarm clock beside the telephone. Twenty-nine minutes passed by the clock. Well, Gwen, I said, it looks like you're right. I guess I won't have to. The telephone rang. I picked it up slowly, looking at Gwen. You have a TV set for sale, a man's voice starts. That's right, an RCA in good condition. How much do you want for it? Well, he hadn't thought about that. $100, m- I said quickly. I'll take it, the man said. You don't even want to look at it? Nope, have it ready in 15 minutes, I'll bring the money. My life has never been the same since. Now, I'm not standing here advocating that we all go home and sell our TVs. Okay, you're okay. However, the choice that David Wilkinson made that night was to put God first. Spend time with him and see what happened next. I wonder what would happen if we spent some quality time with God. I have to say David made the choice very reluctantly, but he gave up something for God, and God then used him. A disciple's life is rooted in faith. Faith is nothing more or nothing less than trusting in the character and promises of God to the point that you act like a disciple whether you feel like it or not. Listen to that again. A disciple's life is rooted in faith. Faith is nothing more or nothing less than trusting in the character and promises of God to the point that you act like a disciple, whether you feel like it or not. And let's be honest, there are days when we don't feel very disciple-like, do we? Or I don't. Just as David gave up his TV set very reluctantly, He too didn't feel like being a disciple, but he did. Follower, disciple, Christian. All those words bring to mind movement, choice, action. If you go back to our reading, the disciples were not just called to be followers, they had a job to do. They chose movement, they made a choice. They took action. Their job was firstly to proclaim the gospel and secondly to heal the sick. They were called to be witnesses and to show love to others. Now, nowadays, healing the sick doesn't necessarily mean we all go out and train as doctors and nurses. What it does mean is that we are caring. We're showing love in practical ways, making a difference to somebody else. It means demonstrating service, being and acting like God's servant serving others, even when it's inconvenient, even when we would rather be doing something else, or even when we're just plain tired. Remember, people see through us if our actions are false or not true and real. The second story from The Cross and the Switchblade gives us an insight into how serving can be a very practical thing. You remember that I said David was called to minister to the young teenage gangs in America. Well, one of the lads that he came across was Jojo, and he writes this in his book. I met Jojo the next day in Brooklyn. Jojo was pointed out to me as the president of the Coney Island Dragons, one of the largest and fiercest street gangs in the city. The boy who pointed him out wouldn't introduce us. Jojo might not like it, Dave. So I walked up to this boy alone and I stuck out my hand. Jojo's first act was to slap me across the palm and then he leaned over and spat on my shoes. In the gangs, this is the highest sign of contempt. He walked away and sat down on a bench with his back to me. So I walked over and sat beside him and asked him where he lived. Preacher, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Jojo had on a pair of old canvas shoes. His toe was sticking out on the right foot and he had a dirty black shirt on and a two big pair of khaki trousers. He looked down at my shoes and so did I. They were brand new. Jojo said, look, rich man, it's all right for you to come here to New York and talk big about God-changing lives. You've got new shoes, and you've got a suit of clothes that match. Look at me, I'm a bum. Jojo was right. There and then, on the public park bench, I took off my shoes and asked him to try them on. What's the gimmick? What are you trying to prove? That you've got heart or something? I'm not going to put your stinking shoes on. "'You've been griping about shoes. Put them on.' Jojo said, "'I ain't ever had new shoes. Put them on.' So suddenly Jojo put on the shoes. Then I got up and walked away. I walked down the street in my socks, about two blocks to the car. It was quite a circus, people looking on and laughing at me. And just as I got to the car, Jojo came running up behind me and said, "'You forgot your shoes.' No, they're your shoes, I said. Preacher, Jojo said, reaching inside the open window, I forgot to shake your hand. That was the start of a journey for Jojo that resulted in him giving over his life to Jesus and his life being transformed. All because of a pair of shoes and David Wilkinson being prepared to show love in a practical way. So, As we leave here today, I want you to think on a few things. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means trusting in him for everything, giving up all your own strength and self-reliance and trusting him no matter what he calls you to do. It means giving up your emergency fork. Have you and are you prepared to do that? What does it mean to be a disciple? It means staying close to him. Spending time with him, praying and learning from him. You won't get to know someone if you don't spend time with them. You won't hear what he has to say if you're not prepared to spend time listening. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means acting like a servant. Being prepared to to serve and show love to others, even when it's inconvenient, even though they might not appreciate it and even though it flip-flops the world's social order and expectations. Can you love the unlovely? Can you show care and compassion to those that no one else will give the time of day to? Are we unconsciously causing a barrier to others by the way we live and the possessions that we have? Being a disciple, a Christian, is such an amazing privilege. We are to share this amazing good news and live in a way that makes people ask, why? Why? My mum didn't become a Christian till much later in her adult life, but was greatly influenced by my dad's dad, my granddad. She often said to me that he was a great influence in her becoming a Christian because, as she used to put it, there was something about him and I wanted what he had. There was something about him and I wanted what he had. Do you think people would say that about you? Do you think people would say that about you? I would like us just to take a few minutes to pray. So if you could close your eyes. Lord, thank you that you call us to be your followers. Thank you. Thank you that you call us to be your disciples. Help us to be prepared to give up relying on ourselves or things around us, and help us to trust you more. Help us to have a servant heart, prepared to give of our time and our money to show others your love through us. Help us to serve you with all of our heart. Amen. As we close, I would like you to listen to this song, and please do join in too. It's got a really catchy tune, and I absolutely love it. But it kind of sums things up for me. So as you're listening to it and singing, listen to what we've been talking about and listen to what the words are saying. It's often played as a children's song, but it's absolutely no less relevant. God wants us to be his hands and his feet and to walk with him and for him. Are you going to do that? Amen.